Well, if you would, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of John, John chapter 12. We're going to continue in the Gospel of John. Again, the Lord is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to the cross. I want want us to, to feel the mood, if you would, of the scriptures. We're going to see some of that in our text. Hear now the word of God. This is the Lord speaking. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of man must be lifted up. Who is this son of man? Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While You have the light. Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, how we thank you for your word. We know that your word brings us comfort. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Your word is glorious. It's from your word that we are mindful of you. We are growing in our knowledge of you. And it is in that knowledge that we're able to respond in praise. We're able to glorify you. Let that be the case. As we consider your word, help us to be reminded to do all for your glory. We pray, Father, that you would help us 
Help us to know your truth. And we pray for the one that do not know you today that the truth would set them free. For faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The flowers fade, the green grass withers, but your word shall stand forever. Father, how we thank you for your word. Help us now. We decrease as you increase. In Jesus' name, amen. John, here I like how John writes. It's as if John opens up the corridors of time and allows us to peek in, to feel the text, if you would. And here it is, we were able to gain profound insight of the emotional and spiritual state of our Lord Jesus Christ as he progresses to the cross. I say progresses because him going to the cross, he's going in obedience to the Father. And it will bring glory to the Father. It will bring us a great salvation. We're able to take joy in each day. So as he go to the cross, he's not going down, he's going up. And so he, he's fixing himself, he's preparing himself as he approaches his crucifixion. And so the passage is setting the stage, if you would. It's placing us in the context of the final days of our Lord where he's going to give the ultimate sacrifice. Here the Lord expresses a deep anguish, yet also, also he's also expressing his unwavering commitment to the Lord. Why? Because the Father's will matters. And so the passage shows us this paradox of Jesus' glorification through his death and resurrection. And it also underscores the critical moments in the lives of believers and how we can learn from the master teacher that despite the trials and the difficulties we face, we can likewise be faithful until the end. Because the Spirit of God dwells with us. And we're reminded that he who begins a good work in us shall complete it. And so, we're going to consider for today, why must the Son of Man die? And we have three points uh, for consideration. The Son of of man died to glorify the Father, the Son of Man died to draw all believers to himself, and the Son of Man died so that we might become sons of light. Point number one, the Son of Man died to glorify the Father. Verse 27, the Lord says, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. This word trouble in the Greek is taruso, which means to become distressed or afflicted. It means to be in danger or in need. It also could be understood as to mean stirred up or to disturb or unsettled. So you can kind of feel the emotions of the Lord at this particular time. This is another example of how weighty it was for the Lord in carrying out or in carrying the agony of his debt, which at the time was fast approaching. This this should sound familiar. Should sound familiar because it's similar to when the Lord was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that, that The Lord was so pressured by what he had to do that the scripture said that he sweated drops of blood. You can feel the emotional state here. And so there's a, 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 a similar picture here. The scripture records that event in Matthew. And it was penned in Matthew 26 verses 38 and 39 that the Lord was in such agony that he said to his disciples and to his father, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And he asked, remember, it was was a time where he was vulnerable, where he asked the disciples, pray with me. But they were so tired in their flesh, they slept. And here it is, he said, watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, reminding us of his desire that despite the difficulty of his task, He was more concerned about being obedient to the Father's will. These verses also uses this word to remind us to look to Christ and to not allow ourselves to become how we feel. Sometimes we allow our emotions to lead us and to guide us. But listen to what the Lord says in John 14, 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Again, he uses this word troubled. Then in that same chapter, in verse 27, He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. These are some verses we ought to try to memorize 
Why? Because when we find ourselves in trouble, we want to be able to call upon weapons to fight against the trials and the difficulties we face. And we want to remember the word of God so that we will be also helped in times of trouble. I mean, see, he literally says in these two verses, when, when you find yourself in trouble, believe in me. Believe in me. And then he says, here's what I will do for you. I will leave my peace with you. He says, my, my peace can't be compared to the world. Right? So he reminds us, don't be afraid. We must first believe. And with belief comes peace. It will be given to us and left with us. And it is done through faith. Somebody here today may feel disturbed or may have, a tr- may have trouble going on in your life, the Lord reminds us in these two verses that we're given a clear command. We're not to allow our hearts to be troubled. In other words, do not let ourselves become troubled. It doesn't mean we won't run into trouble. But when we find ourselves troubled, in trouble, then we want to reflect upon the promises of our God. And so when we have trouble in our lives, what an encouraging word. This can be applied anywhere in the world. It builds up our confidence. We're able to be helped. And so we're not to allow ourselves to be troubled, but we're to accept this encouraging word. Can someone be a witness? How many of you know that God will meet you in your trouble? Amen? How many of you have been in trouble before and God is always on time? Somebody need to hear that. You need to know that somebody have gone through trouble and that God will be there, that he have done it for somebody else. He needs witnesses. And so we're able to, to recognize that. It is here where we can see that despite going to a cross to offer himself as the atoning sacrifice once and for all, For sinners, the Lord was faithful through it all in obedience to the Father. Now, if people choose not to follow God's command as stated in his word, what we're doing, we're forfeiting. We're forfeiting the peace that the Lord commanded, that the Lord promised that we would have. And at that point, People cause themselves more pain and more heartaches because they have chosen another way. And what did the Lord say? He says, I 
am the what? The way. Come on. We're going to preach this together. Right? We're in this together. So, so the Lord says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're reminded of that not just for salvation, but for every day in, in life. And so, at this point, if we choose another way, we're simply, we're simply embracing the problems. We are the problem. And at that point, we must get to the point where if we are the problem, we must own it, confess it, and repent of it. So according to verse 28, the Lord receives the testimony of the Father to confirm the mission he was given while he was on earth. This also happened in two other occasions. You might remember his baptism and the transfiguration. In both cases, the father seals the son's work and identity with his own approval, saying in both cases, both occasions, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And in one of those cases, he added the words, listen to him. The son often declared his mission to save sinners by performing miracles and giving his father all the glory for all that he came to do. The Lord Jesus was set apart by the father to bring about the greater glory of God. And the Father sealed it with his own approval from heaven. Both the Father and the Son agrees because in Matthew eleven twenty seven the Lord states, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus came to glorify the Father. Though he could have and would be right in doing so, if he spoke on his own authority, though he never did, Jesus always sought the Father's glory. Gave us the perfect example about what it is to glorify God. Now compare that to John 7, verse 18, when Jesus says this about himself. He says, the one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. Again, the Lord constantly reminds his listeners about him glorifying the Father. The Lord Jesus also recognized that he was sent by the Father and he always obeyed the Father's command. The beginning of verse 28, he does not glorify himself. Instead, he seeks the Father's glory. Pastor Josh mentioned it last week from the minister, the Westminster Shorter Catechism but it's worth mentioning, again, mentioning it again. What is it that? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to what? 
glorify God and enjoy him forever. The reminder of our mission that in everything we do, we're to glorify God. In our scripture reading, we heard Moses pleaded with God to show him his glory. How would you describe the glory of God if someone asked you? Well, uh, let's listen to Ezekiel. Ezekiel described it in Ezekiel 1.28. Ezekiel says, it's like the appearance of the bow. He's speaking about the rainbow. And that it is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness of all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. This was similar to Moses' response after the Lord passed by him, expressing his glory in verse 8 of Exodus 34, 8. And Moses, what did he do after God's afterburners passed him? His his, the whiteness of his glory, the scripture reminds us that it changed his appearance. And when Moses came down from the mountains, his appearance was white. And Moses had to begin wearing a veil because of the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. It was all over him. And here it is. When that happened, God put Moses in a rock and covered him with his hand. And it says, and Moses quickly, he quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. You see, that's what glory brings. It causes us to worship God. And after experiencing or becoming aware of the attributes of God, because that's what was happening here, the Lord talked about his loving kindness, right? That's how we come to know God. It's as if God peels back his word and exposes his attributes. And in response, we praise and we worship God because the Lord has visited with us. And so when we become aware of the attributes of God, it ought to leave lead every child of God to bow in worship. It should lead to a posture of reverence. No one who have truly experienced the revelation of God can remain the same. It won't happen. There will be a change. There will be a newness. The scripture demands that we must be born again. When we come to know Christ, it ought to lead to praise and honor and glory. People ought to be saying something about us that reminds them about who God is. It ought to come out of our actions. It ought to come out of our mouths, our speech. Uh, The things that we do ought to lead to 
us reflecting the glory of God. And so, there's nothing plain about the glory of God. Glory points to an idea of weightiness. It is, it's a distinct feature that points to what God has made known to mankind through his works of creation. We see this in Psalm 19, verse 1, when it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. When God intervenes, we're able to recognize the glory of God. He he leaves us in a state of awfulness. Have you ever been left in a state of disbelief because God is so good? Have you you ever been left in a state where you just can't believe the goodness of God? That's what God does. And he leaves us in a state of wanting to give him glory. We ought to be shocked or disturbed in such a way it leads us to worship him. Have you ever felt like you didn't deserve your salvation? Like, why me? You get to thinking about your own corrupt selves. Then God is so good. He's so merciful. It can leave us in tears. It's because God is so good. And so, it is at this point that we're able to realize the otherly of God. In other words, God is holy. He is unlike anyone else. So, we understand why the angels could say, holy, holy, holy. We agree with them. There's no one like our God. And so we realize the inability of ourselves and being able to reach God on our own. We can't do it. We need him as the mediator. Only Christ can bring such mediation. And the Lord Jesus came and he came and he did die so that his people might be drawn to himself. And in Hebrews 1, 3, it says this about Christ and the glory of God. He is the, he is the radiance, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God's glory shown forth in the plan and in the work of grace can be seen in the salvation of sinners. We can see the reality of needing Christ for our salvation. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this leads us to our second point. The Son of Man died to draw all believers to himself. Verse 29, the crowd that stood there 
and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. When the father spoke and the people heard it, they described it as thunder. I don't know about you, but if I hear a voice speaking to me from the clouds, I'll be very clear about that. I'll be sure that it's not thunder and it's not lightning. And so I believe the people were clear. We know the difference, but that's what spiritually blind and deaf people do. They suppress the truth in order to believe the lie. So despite their intellectual dishonesty, the Lord sets the record straight by saying in verse 30, this voice, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. In other words, stop it. You you heard it. That was for you. It wasn't for me because I know a similar thing happened during Paul's conversion as well in Acts 9, verse 7. But in verse 31, the Lord says to the crowd, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. World, in this case, actually means world system the ruler of this world system, which is in reference to Satan. And how do we know this? Because in the original, it means supernatural being. And who fits that description? Our enemy, Satan, which is another reason we are commanded not to love this world System Because of Satan's influences, no one should love the world. But, the one, but one day, Satan will ultimately be driven out and forced to go away forever. At the time, he had the keys of death, but the Lord took it back. The Lord took them when he died on the cross, and three days later, he rose from the grave. In verse 32, he says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. In verse 32, the Lord is describing the kind of death he will die. He's speaking of his crucifixion. He's predicting, if you would, his death on the cross that is soon approaching. John, in reference to Christ, states, verse 33, he says this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In other words, John gives the interpretation of verse 32 to be, a, to be clear about what the Lord meant. Now, let's turn our attention again to the second part of the verse, verse 32, when the Lord says, will draw all people to myself. This is where some people get hung up. And some people come to believe certain things that 
the, t- the Scripture doesn't teach. The question has to be asked, does this mean that everyone will be saved? Well, there's a problem with that. This can't mean everyone will be saved because it contradicts the whosoever's in John 3.16. Let's read it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him, one group of people, should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, one group of people, but whoever does not believe. Another group of people is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So it can't mean that everyone will be saved. Jesus clearly describes two groups of people, and he made a distinction between the believer and the non-believing world. What this also means is that The cross also allows for people the real meaning when he says all people. It means that it allows the cross, opens the gate, if you would, and allows people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation to be saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, all signifies kind. It signifies kind. The cross is a universal message that reaches all kinds of people from all over the world. The gospel message reaches both the Jew and the Gentile, the rich and the poor, the strong and the weak, etc. The gospel tears down strongholds. And that's why we're considered the family of God. Though we have been born through a different bloodline, it is the Christ who brings us together. And that's why we're able to identify as children of God. We're able to come together and worship and glorify the Father and the Son. So it is through the gospel that we are one. Saving faith must come through the gospel. Anything else is unauthorized. It's prohibited. Some would try to convince us that Jesus is in some way presenting a universal gospel that will save everyone. This is just a rejection of hell even though the scripture clearly teaches it. People believe that They can make up their own rules. They can say things like, God accepts you as you are. Wrong. God is holy, and we need mediation before we can come and approach God. We remember what happened when God set aside his glory, and he told Moses, I don't want anybody touching the mountain." For if they do, they will surely die. God is serious about his glory, and we only can come into right relationship with God through his son. 
God doesn't accept us on the basis of our experiences. He accepts us on the basis of what we believe about his son. Only the son can redeem sinners. Those who believe in him will be saved, period. He says, that's why I've come. I've come not for the righteous, but I've come for sinners. So as sinners, we identify as sinners who are saved by the grace of God. And so we're to be aware of the heretical teachings that goes beyond or falls short of what the Scripture demands. In other words, we want to only say what Scripture says. Some today have come to believe in this False gospel. You might have heard about it. It's called the gospel of inclusion. Some of you may be wondering, what is that? Let me explain. It includes the following. The gospel. So as you hear this, you hear something like this. Remember that it's a false gospel. The gospel of inclusion includes a universal salvation, which means that everyone is saved regardless of their faith or lack thereof. And this idea suggests a universal reconciliation between humanity and God. That's the first problem. The second problem is a rejection of traditional hell. We know that the scripture talks about hell and separation from God. This particular teaching, Gospel of Inclusion, uh, rejects the traditional Christian concept of, of hell as a place of eternal damnation for the, unstead, for, for the unsaved. And instead, people who accept this view believe in a more inclusive, a more in- inclusive and, and loving view of God that do not align with the notion of eternal punishment. Beware. And then the last thing it does is that there's this idea of inclusivity in love teaches that there's an inf- uh, there emphasis on God's conditional love and acceptance. The people uh, in, in that, that receives this particular view, it, it resonates with those who already believe these kinds of things Uh, Some of them might have felt marginalized. They may have felt mistreated by someone in the church, and so they have now drifted, and they're no more part of the church. Uh, They've been hurt by some of the teachings from the church. Something was said from the pulpit, or, or something was mentioned through conversation. Some of this will include even non Christians and people who have left the church. People want to create for themselves their own gospel, but want to be in right relationship with God through another message. The scripture warns us about people who offer another gospel, which is no gospel at all. They just call it that because at the end of the day, there is no good news. It only leads people separated from God and destined to hell. Finally, the Son of Man died 
so that we might become sons of light. And before we get to this idea of sons of light, becoming sons of light, uh, we must uh, acknowledge that there is a warning here. Let me read verse 34. Verse 34 says, So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Here it is. The crowd is now engaging with the Lord. The crowd is asking questions. They seem to want to know more about the Son of Man. One might even suspect that this is a trick question. And saying, how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? They seem to misunderstand the Lord's point. The crowd is asking questions. They are wanting to know more about the Son. And in verse 34, they appeared to know the law, but was unclear as to what exactly Jesus meant in that he was going to die. They, they, they may have been thinking of the eternal reign of the Messiah. So that made it hard for them to understand the Lord's statement. And the problem is they can't get past this idea of Jesus proclaiming to be the Son of Man, the one who would reign eternally the Son of God, but at the same time having to die. They were troubled. And Jesus had been telling them over and over and over again about his identity and what he came to do. So how would the Lord answer them? Verse 35, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. So rather than explaining himself again, as he has done in the past, he turns his focus to giving them a warning in light of his coming death. He has given them signs. He has proclaimed to them his message. He has given them illustrations and descriptions, analogies, and clear revelation about who his identity is or points to and the reason for his coming. And a lot of them still do not believe. We will see this even in the next portion of our text. But the Lord realizes that time is running out and his death is approaching. And so they need to know what's at stake. Their lives are on the line and they must put their faith in him, their only hope. This reminds us of what has already been stated about Christ and his mission. For example, listen to what it says. In John chapter 1, beginning at verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness have not overcome. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear 
to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Then he says, verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Again, this reference Christ. Then in John chapter 9, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 4 and 5, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see the connection? Jesus is pointing out to them that he's going to die and there will be a dark time. At that moment, the light is with them. Christ is with them. All they have to do is believe. The Lord is giving them one final opportunity to come out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Everyone who does not believe in the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in the dark. Without Christ, there is nothing left but spiritual darkness. According to verse 35, towards the end of the verse, it says, The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Only Christ, only Christ can give true satisfaction. And without Christ, a person is not cognizant or aware of where to go and what to do. That person lacks the information about where he is going. This person does not possess the knowledge or understanding. Lastly, the Lord gives a warning to the crowd with an invitation to become sons of light. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus reminds them that he is the light and they must come to him in order to become sons of light. That means that they must come to faith by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Receiving the light of Christ, they must believe by putting their faith in the Lord. But time is running out, and he lets them know, at the end of the day, salvation is a work of God. Christ did everything that is needed for salvation. So I want to close with this. We see that this is an intense moment, personal revelation and the public teaching of Christ. Looking forward to his impending death, but it's necessary for him to die. And the light, being the light, the light being in him, provide both a challenge and a comfort to all of those who believe. And so may we live each day reminding ourselves to live for the glory of God. Of God.